And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus is at the temple. He is there with His disciples. He is across the way from the treasury, the box that they had set up for people to make donation to the work of the temple so that it could be preserved and the work that was going on there could be supported. And as He sat there and watched, apparently several of the wealthy came by. And as they came by, they were dropping in large sums. But along came a widow, a poor woman, who at this moment had only two copper coins to her name, which amount to a cent, the New American Standard says. And she dropped it in the box. Jesus, at this point, called His disciples together to Him and uttered one of His amazing statements, one of those shocking statements, those paradoxical statements that on the surface don't make sense, but when we study them, we find out that the deep message that He is teaching is really profound. And He said, you see this woman who just dropped in those two copper coins? In comparison to all these others who dropped by and they, they dropped in their, their bags of gold and silver and the, the numerous talents that they dropped in there, this woman has given more than all of them. Why? Because these men gave out of their surplus. And she gave out of her livelihood. She gave as a sacrifice. They gave as an afterthought. And what a powerful message that we have here. As we take a look at this woman and the giving that she did in order to further the work of the temple under the Old Covenant. Today we recognize that we no longer have a temple in Jerusalem. We don't support that a building would be built in Jerusalem and folks travel there to worship God. We recognize that we are the temple of God. God's church is God's temple. And under the New Covenant, we recognize that we have a responsibility to support the work of His temple today. I think it would be beneficial for us to take a look at this widow and her giving as we consider ours today, as we strive to build and support the work of the temple. Now, let me say before we get too far into the lesson, this is, this is one of those topics that's just not always my favorite to preach about. And mostly, I don't like preaching about it because I realize we have guests in our audience. And, and sometimes it worries me that folks who, who don't attend a particular church, or maybe not any church regularly, they come and the lesson happens to be about giving and they walk away thinking, that well, that church just wants money. And that's not what this is about at all. Rather, we recognize that within the Bible, those who are God's children are given a responsibility to support His work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it talked about them taking up the collection on the first day of the week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul talked about the collection the Corinthians were supposed to be taking. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we see Christians giving money in order to support the work of the local congregation. And so we recognize that that's something that we need to do today as Christians. And what that means is... Every once in a while, we've got to talk about it. We've got to take a look at what it means for us as Christians to honor the Lord from the first of our produce, as Proverbs chapter 3 and about verse 8 or 9 points out to us, to honor the Lord from our wealth and devote to Him the first of our produce. We're going to take a look at this widow and her giving 
and learn how to be able to give as she did. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for all that you have given us. You have given us more than we deserve. First and foremost, you have given your Son. And we are amazed at that, that you would sacrifice your Son, sending Him down here to live as one of us, to be rebuked and rebuffed, to be rejected, to be tormented and beaten and mocked and crucified. We're just absolutely amazed that you would give that to us. You've given your Spirit who has revealed your Word, guiding us and letting us know how we are to serve you. You've given us life, and we're amazed at that. You've given us breath and the ability to move. You've given us the clothes that we're wearing this morning. You've given us the homes in which we live. You've given us the cars that we drive. You've given us the jobs that we have. You've given us the food that we eat. You've given us the the friends and the family. You've given us the appliances that we use that make our lives so easy. And we're just amazed at how benevolent You have been to us. And Father, we pray that You would open our hearts, that we might devote our hearts to You and to give ourselves to You that we might be able to accomplish Your work in this world. And Father, where our finances with which You have blessed us are needed to accomplish Your will, we pray that You would open our hearts, that we might support Your work, because we love You. And we are so thankful for all that You have done for us. And just stand in awe of Your grace and mercy. And we pray that we might make some small return, some bountiful return, though we recognize there's not a thing that we could do that would be on the equal plane with what you've done for us. We pray that you accept our service as we offer it to you from our hearts. Through your Son we pray. Amen. As we take a look at the widows, I think we learn four major lessons about the giving, about the contributing to the work of the Lord's temple. The very first thing is we learn that giving is a matter of the heart. How is it that this widow's small amount was more than the large amounts. The reason is that giving is not about amount per se, but it's about attitude. It's about the heart. And this widow had a heart that was right with God. There are so many things that we can say about giving, and and there are so many things that we could talk about, but we've got to understand this first of all. When our heart is right with God, then our giving is going to be right with God, as is all of our service. When our heart is right with God, then our giving will be right with God, as will all of our service. That's where it has to begin. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the proverbialist wrote, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's important that we get our hearts right because everything else flows from having our hearts right with God. And as we consider this concept, I just want to make a few sub-points here, what it means to have a heart right with God in relation to our giving. The very first thing is we have to sanctify Jesus in our hearts. If we want our heart to be right with God, we have to sanctify Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And of course it goes on to talk about teaching and defending the faith. But we want to notice that principle. We have to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. We have to set Him apart in our hearts. He needs to be set up on a pedestal within our heart to God. 
That's what, that's, that's where Jesus needs to be. But on the flip side of that, in addition to sanctifying Jesus in our hearts and setting our, setting Him up in our hearts, lifting Him up in our hearts, we have to lift our hearts up to Jesus. We have to give our hearts to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. As Paul commented on the giving of the Macedonians in order to take care of their brethren who were in need in Jerusalem and in Judea, he said they did this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The first thing they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. Their their gift was not a gift of money. Their gift was a gift of self. And therefore, when money was needed to accomplish the work of God, they already knew it. It belonged to God. I I belong to God. Everything about me belongs to God. And so they were willing to give that. The third thing is that in our hearts, we have to learn to be content. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, Paul said, as he talked about the Philippians helping him and supporting him and sending material gifts to him in support of the spread of the gospel, said, not that I speak from want, this is Philippians 4.11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How did he do that? Verse 13 said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had learned how to be content. And the Hebrew writer provides for us the key to that contentment in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 5. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 5, the Hebrew writer says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. Now, if we stop there, that would make it sound like the contentment comes from, I take a look at all that God has blessed me with, and I'm just content with that. But that's not what he goes on to say. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? If we look to our material goods to be our source of contentment, we will never be content. If we're looking to the car that we drive, the house in which we live, the clothes that we wear, we will never be content. We must learn as children of God to be content that we have God. And when that is the source of our contentment, then we will be content with the level of blessing with which the Lord has blessed us. If we want our hearts to be right with God, we have to sanctify Jesus in our hearts. We have to lift our hearts up to Jesus, giving ourselves to God. We have to be content And we have to focus on things above and not on things on the earth. We've got to focus on heavenly and spiritual things. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. In the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, have you been raised up with Christ? Have you been baptized, immersed, buried with Christ? raised up to walk in newness of life? If you have, he's talking to you here. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, as Jesus was presenting His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where they're there neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is talking about what we treasure, what we value. Do we value and treasure earthly things? Then our heart's not ever going to be right with God. When we value and treasure heavenly things, then our heart can be right with God and then our giving will be right. Because as Matthew 6.33 says, we're going to be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and not our own personal bottom line. And finally, as we consider having our heart right with God, we've got to understand from where all our gifts have come, from where all our blessings have come, James chapter 1 and verse 17. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says to us, every good thing given... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every gift that we have has come from our Father in heaven. Are you wearing clothes this morning? Yes, I think we all are. Guess where that came from? God. Did you ride here in a car? Or did you have somebody who was willing to give you a ride? Guess where that came from? God. Do you have a job? Do you have a place to live? Do you have a washer and dryer? Do you have a microwave, a stove? You know, we have so many things that these folks from the Bible was written, they didn't have. Where did all that come from? It came from God. Every bit of it. What an amazing God we have. And the thing that we need to understand is that not only did He give us those things, but God still owns everything. Psalm 50. Psalm 50 and verse 12 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Why? Why won't He come to us when He's hungry? He says, because the world is mine and all it contains. It all belongs to God anyway. Everything we have belongs to God. And He's just allowing us to use it for a while. And He wants us to use it in a way that glorifies and honors Him and serves His children. And when we have these five characteristics, our heart is going to be right with God. Giving is a matter of the heart, but it doesn't stop there. Giving is also a matter of the will. It's a matter of choice. This widow in Mark chapter 12, when she walked up to the treasury, she didn't just reach in her pocket and say, let's see what I've got. Oh, two copper. Okay, there we go. Jesus said this was all she had to live on. This is a choice. Let me ask you, if you were going to put all you had to live on in this plate, would you do it accidentally? Is there anybody that could accidentally give every piece of money that they have? It's a matter of choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 demonstrates this as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 it says, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Giving is a matter of purposing. Giving is a matter of planning. Let me ask, has this ever happened to you? Really, I probably don't even have to ask, because I'm sure it's happened to all of us at times. We get here, the Lord's Supper is over, and the brother's saying, okay, to separate and apart from that, we now take this opportunity, convenient to pass the collection, and we're going to do that at this time. And all of a sudden you think, oh, yes, I've got to give. And so you start rummaging in your pockets, and you pull out, and you've got a 50 and a couple of singles. 
And you say, and so then you nudge your spouse, and, and she starts rummaging through her purse, or he starts going through his pockets, and you're able to gather together 10 or 15 or $20, and you, you fold it up so that nobody can see what you did, and you drop it in the plate. Has that sort of thing ever happened to you? That's not the kind of giving that God talks about. God talks about purposeful, willful, making the choice to give. Giving takes planning. The fact is, by the time we get to this building at 9 o'clock, because I know you're all going to come for Bible class as good, faithful Christians to learn the Word of God with your brethren, by the time you get here at 9 o'clock, you ought to already know what amount you're going to be placing in the collection plate. Because when you were blessed, you were going to be giving the first of your produce. And so that was the very first thing you gave thought to as you planned and purposed your giving. As we talk about the idea of planning and purposing, I do want to make one comment about one issue. And this is not an issue that I can make a hard and fast rule about, and I, I can't make any laws and tell you what you have to do here, but I just want to open your thinking to something, something that, that you should consider as a means of expediency for the congregation of which you are a part. You realize that the congregation of which you are a part and, I, of course, I know most of the folks here are part of this congregation, so mainly I'm talking about here, but I know we have guests from other congregations as well. But the congregation of which you are a part makes plans based on what they believe they're going to get from their contribution. And so, if you travel one Sunday and you're visiting with another congregation, or you're sick one Sunday and you're just not here, or for some reason you're not at the assembly, and, and you give someplace else, or you just skip your contribution that week, whatever the case may be in those scenarios, you are hindering, to that extent, the work that the congregation that you're a part of is planned. And so, I'd just like for you to think about that. If you're traveling... It would be beneficial, you know, the members here, if you're traveling, it would be beneficial for us because of the plans that we've made and the work that we want to do to make sure that your contribution gets here. If you're sick, make sure that your contribution gets here. If you double up the next week, whatever. But we're making plans based on that because we expect folks to give with a plan. And so I just want you to think about that. Again, I can't make hard and fast rules what you're going to do about that issue, but I just want you to open up your thinking to the need of the congregation and to the work that we're doing and to your part of it as you give with purpose, as you give based on the will. The third thing that we learn from Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, is that giving is a matter of sacrifice. This widow gave as a matter of sacrifice. All that she had to live on. How was she going to eat? She gave all that she had to live on. Sacrifice. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 says in verse 9, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Giving is a matter of sacrifice that comes first. The reason why this woman's giving was more than all those who put so many other amounts is Jesus said, because they gave from their surplus. They had bought their houses. They had bought their chariots. They had bought their horses. They had bought their meals. They had paid their servants. And they still had money left over, a lot of it, and so they dropped it in the treasury. But this woman gave as a sacrifice from the first 
of what she had. And she didn't have much, so she gave it all. What an amazing sacrifice. We look at the Old Testament prophets and God rebuked Israel because they did not sacrifice. In Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, Malachi 1 and verse 6, God said, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. What's the problem there? They're just giving the leftovers. They're giving the scraps. They're giving the things that don't cost them anything anyway. Those, those are going to die and not be any good anyway. It's supposed to be a, a sacrifice. It's supposed to be a sacrifice. And so they were defiling the table of the Lord and their worship was defiled because of that. And then in Malachi chapter 3, in Malachi in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, oh, that there... Now well, I flipped the page. Hold on here. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. He rebuked them because they weren't sacrificing for God. They were holding back from what was due to God. And he said, you have robbed me. I understand that tithing is not our command today. We're not under the old covenant. But when we're not giving what we ought to be giving to God, we are robbing Him. But then there's an amazing passage just a few books back in Haggai. And the story is that the children of Israel had been released from captivity and they traveled all the way back to Jerusalem and they laid the foundation of the temple. But then they got a little discouraged because of some folks around them and they, they let it go and they became complacent. And then Haggai, in Haggai chapter 1, and verse 2 says, this is Haggai chapter 1 and verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, consider your ways. What was the problem here? The problem was that they had focused on self and they had taken care of my needs. I've got the house, I've got the car, I've got the clothes, I've got the food. I'm making sure that I'm taken care of and it doesn't bother me that the house of the Lord lies desolate. They hadn't sacrificed for the Lord. They had sacrificed the Lord for their own selves. But giving is a matter of sacrifice. Giving is a matter of sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, it says that we're supposed to give as we have been prospered. Have we been prospered? Has the Lord blessed us with anything? Then from that we ought to give. And it ought to be sacrificial. And so we ought to ask ourselves the question about our giving, and that is, what's it costing me? And the fourth thing, which really just comes out of a sacrifice, is but giving is a matter of faith. Why was this woman willing to give these two coins that amounted to a sin all that she had to live on? 
she clearly had faith that God would take care of her. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, when the people were selling houses and land in order to provide for the needs of their brethren, why were they able to do that? Clearly because they had faith that God would take care of them. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that if we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, that He's really going to put food on our table? That He's really going to make sure we have clothes on our back? And if He did that, would we be content with it? First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 points out that sometimes that's where we have to be content. You know, maybe the problem is, let me just read that so you'll believe me. First Timothy chapter 6 Beginning at verse 7 says, We brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. Verse 8, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Maybe sometimes the problem is, we're not convinced that if we seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, that He's going to give us the Lexus that we want, or the computer entertainment center that we want, or the big house on the hill that we want. And so we're not going to give as He wants. But do we believe God and trust Him that says, that when we seek His kingdom and His righteousness first, He will take care of us, and then will we be content with His provision for us, having our heart right with God, which gets us back to point number one. I'll tell you, regarding faith, those prophets that we read, both of them immediately followed up their rebuke by saying, if you do right by this, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. Rain is going to come. Crops are going to grow. Your houses will be filled with plenty. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he said, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. What Paul there says is, is that when we give bountifully, the Lord will take care of us. The Lord will provide. Now, I'm not talking health and wealth gospel, and I don't have time in the lesson to explain why not. But the article in today's bulletin deals with that. So get that article and take a look at what God has said about that. But it does say that when we put Him first, and we seek His will first, and when we provide for His work first, that He will provide for us an abundance for every good deed. Do we believe that? If we are going to give as the widow gives, we've got to ask ourselves four questions. Is my heart right with God? What is my plan for giving? What is my giving costing me? And do I believe that God really will take care of me, His child? Do I really believe that? This is what we need to say and ask in order to be like the widow. Now, I need to take just a few minutes. Because I have to bring this home for us as a congregation here. And if you're our guest here, we really appreciate your presence. There's not a single thing about this lesson that's written to you to talk about us getting your money because we don't want your money. We hope that you'll give your money to your home congregation. If you're not a child of God, we hope that you'll become one. And we'd love to have you here with us. But not so we can get your money, but so you can go to heaven. But I do need to say some things to the Franklin Church regarding our giving. I want to share with you where we are. Because sometimes I think we... We lose sight of that. We see this board in the back and we have no idea what those numbers on the back mean. I just want to share with you, our budget for this year is just $3,600 a week. 
just 3600 a week. And if we get that amount, we're basically covering the bare bones of the things that we want to do. We're providing for one local evangelist. We're partially supporting one foreign evangelist. We're able to support having a meeting a year, a VBS, a fall focus. We are able to provide for our facilities, our utilities. We're able to even support the Bible classes and the, the, the material needs that we need there, just barely. If we're making this budget. But as of last Sunday, our average contribution year-to-date was $3,404. If we keep going at that rate, by the end of the year, we're going to be $10,000 behind budget. A little bit over. We are not making our budget. And um, what concerns me about that is that this problem is not just going to be resolved by growth. We're making this year a push for growth, and we have at least added new families in over the past year. But that that's not the real issue with the problem, because actually what's really surprising is that this time last year, our average contribution year-to-date was $34.34. We've actually gone down over the past year $30 a week in contribution. I just want to talk with you about that for just a moment. If we were in a depressed society, uh, you know, if this were 1930, uh, you know, I, I could understand why this sort of thing might happen. But do you realize that we live in one of the wealthiest counties in the nation? One source said that it was the 11th. I got on one website that pointed out as far as average household income, we are the 19th county in the nation for average household income. Do you know what the average household income is in Williamson County? $69,400. That's the average household income. The average household income in Tennessee is only $36,000. You realize that in Williamson County, our average household income is almost twice the average of the state of Tennessee. That is just absolutely phenomenal. Let me share with you this figure. If we just took that average, that average household income in Williamson County, and I understand that we're not, we, we're not commanded to tithe, we don't have to give 10%, but if we today as Christians gave what was considered by the Jews to be the bare minimum of what they gave, our contribution every week would be $9,302 based on that average. That's if we were just giving what the Jews thought was their bare minimum. Now, some of us are going to say, well, Edwin, that's fine. The average in Williamson County is 69000 but but mine is more like the average for the state of Tennessee. Our average household income is more like the 36000 Well, okay, if we were giving based on that number, our contribution may not be ninety three, but it would be 4895 And one more thing I'd like to share with you on this. One website I learned said that the average car payment is 300 I can't remember if it's 87 or 78. Let me, let me look at my notes here. The average car payment is $378 a month. $378 a month. When we go buy cars, most of us are willing to commit $378 a month to one car. If we, with our 70 households about that we have within this congregation, if we, brethren, were willing to give as much as we're willing to pay for our cars, our contribution every week would be $6,106. 
I don't know your situation. And so I can't say anything to anybody individually. But when I consider the average, brethren, I'll tell you what this makes me think of is that verse in Haggai. That we live in our paneled houses while the Lord's temple lies desolate. Are we willing to pay $378 a month so that we can ride around in air-conditioned cars? But we'll give about half of that to the Lord and His work. We need to be like the widow. Our heart needs to be right with God. We need to give with purpose and planning. Sacrificially and bountifully. Believing that God will take care of His children. Here's the amazing thing. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. Was it just a story? Was it a parable? You know, Jesus did that a lot of times. He told stories in order to drive home a point. This wasn't a story. Jesus didn't just make up this widow to make a point about giving. He actually saw it. There in the temple on that particular day, Jesus was sitting across from the treasury and He was watching what the people were giving. What would our giving look like if Jesus was sitting across from our treasury and watching us? Guess what? He is. I may not know, but Jesus knows what every person here is given, what's going on in their heart and what's going on in their planning. Jesus is watching. And when He's talking to His angels up in heaven about the giving that's taking place here, what does He say about us in comparison to those wealthy and that widow? Would you pull out, pull out your songbooks, please? Number 297, prepare to meet thy God. If I might make one more comment. You know, interestingly, if I do a lesson on the Lord's Supper, I'll often talk to Wesley and, and, and say, hey, we're going to change the order of services. Tell the guys who wait on the table we're going to do that after the sermon. Because when I'm done preaching on the Lord's Supper, that's the best time. Our minds are attuned to it. That is the time for us to participate right then because we've got all that information in our heads. I don't ever do that with giving. And I'll tell you why. Because it's true that I might be able to preach a sermon that might guilt some of us into going ahead and pulling out some extra money out of our wallet and giving, but if I've done that, I haven't actually convinced you to give the way God said. Because remember, giving the way God said is not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's a planning thing. And so my purpose in presenting this lesson is not to cause anybody to come up right now and put extra money in the plate. My purpose for this lesson is to cause each of us, as we go home and think about our planning for our giving, that before we plan our next contribution, that we think about these things and make sure that we're planning properly. And if not, that we do a better job. But now, moving aside from the concept of giving, I want you to think about what God gave for us. As He sent His Son down to die for us, to offer Himself up, 
so that we might be cleansed and spend eternity with God in heaven. What an amazing thing God has done for us. Giving His Son. And He's asked us to prepare for His return. Being ready. Turning our lives over to Him. You know, the amazing thing in preparing for His return, we don't have to climb Mount Everest. We don't have to do amazing things. We just have to submit to Him. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Confessing our faith in Him. Committing to turn away from our sins and do what the Lord has asked. And submit to Jesus Christ in baptism. In Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's, an, that's just not much, is it? Yes, we're supposed to live properly after that. And I know that can get to be difficult. But it's just amazing to me when God sent His Son what He's asked of us. Have you done it yet? Have you allowed Jesus' blood to wash your sins away so that you can be prepared to meet Him when He returns? If you haven't, let us help you right now. Come forward as we stand and sing, prepare to meet thy God.